Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, my name's Mark Billingham, and welcome to A Stab in the Dark, UK TV's crime podcast that invites some of the biggest names from the worlds of crime fiction and TV crime drama to come into our incident room for a little natter. Regular listeners know that we've had some real heavyweights from the genre in this series, but if it's your first time, welcome along for the ride. This week, we've got a shorter episode for you, and it features our man with the spyglass, Paul Hirons, speaking with British author Sarah Pinborough at Crimefest in Bristol. Sarah's written one of the most talked-about bestsellers of the year, so this one should be fun. Paul, it's over to you. Yes, thanks, Mark. As you mentioned, I'm here at Crimefest in Bristol with none other than Sarah Pinborough. Welcome to A Stab in the Dark, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Um, Now, Behind Her Eyes uh, is one of the most talked-about books of the year. Thank you. Well, it is, isn't it? Well, in, in my family. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you must be delighted, though. And what's the feeling like when you put a book out there, if, you know, you, you've been writing and editing, and then there's that kind of weird period of... Kind waiting. Of waiting. <laughs> and then you actually get it out there, and it kind of causes this immense kind of reaction. Well, it, it's... I mean, I've been writing quite a long time, so this wasn't my first book. And I think if this had been my first book, I'd have had a very different view on, you know, I'm glad it wasn't. This has been, so I know that this is quite unusual. So I know that this isn't going to happen with every book. But it, you know, HarperCollins did a great job with the run up to it. So they had the hashtag WTF that ending. They had three rounds of proof. So it was a really big marketing campaign. And they got the supermarkets on side. So I kind of hoped it was going to obviously do better than anything else because more money had been put behind it. But I was still really you know, the week of release, you, you know. You still got the nerves, I right? was massively nervous. And and you also, if, a, you know, people, a lot of people see publishers as these very cold business-like people. But when we hit number one, even when we went in at number two, um, my publicist cried, you oh, know, because really? we were the whole team was so excited and everyone was watching it, the whole of the marketing team, because they'd all put so much work in. So with other books, I've kind of thought, oh, I hope my book does well. Whereas with this, I, it's always been, I hope our book does well because right, so it's, it's a been a team massive thing, team right? effort. Yeah. And the same with America as well. Um, so you mentioned it very briefly there. You've written in lots of different genres. In fact, you were on a panel yesterday about kind of cross-genre yeah. pollination. Jack of all genres, master of none. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Um, so you have written horror, fantasy. You're a screenwriter yeah. as well. Um, you love a bit of supernatural yeah. stuff. You, a young adult, yeah. uh, period serial killer stuff. <laughs> I mean, I'll have a go them all. Yeah, I'll have a go. Have a go, Sarah. That's what we'll call you now. Um, it's what? written on the toilet wall. <laughs> Sorry, take that back. Um, so why now? Why go into the kind of adult psychological thriller? What was it that kind of made you jump over? Well, I, I mean, I'd, I've always liked crime stories, and I've written, you know, a fair few in various guises, and I'd written Thirteen Minutes, which is a YA psychological thriller. So that which Netflix have picked up. So that was kind of a good prelim. But I found that I was reading 
I think since Gone Girl, I went, I, like everybody else in the nation, got into that kind of griplet, you know, whatever we want to call it. Do you like the term? Do you like these kind of badges? I don't really care what they call it. I, we, know, we know what they mean by it. You know, domestic noir, griplet, psychological thriller, I guess would be what I would normally say, but I'm tired and griplet's shorter. <laughs> but I was reading a lot of them. And, you know, even like Daphne du Maurier is one of my favourite authors and a lot of her stuff it has that tone. You know, Rebecca's very much a, you know, original psychological thriller. So I just thought I wanted to give one a go and I wanted to do something a bit different with it. And I also, you know, I'm not stupid. I want a career. And I thought I could maybe bring something slightly different to these, you know, hopefully. We'll see. <laughs> that sounds awful. It always sounds like you're denigrating other writers, which I don't mean by that. No, I know what you mean. But, you know, yeah. I, don't, I think I had something else to add to it. If I was just going to yeah. repeat what someone else had done, I wouldn't have wanted to I do it. I think that's the case with any writer. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's like exactly. why I think I remember at Harrogate, Laura Lippman talking on a panel saying, writers, uh, really, if you come down to it, they're kind of egotists, really, because yeah. they always think... Mine's going to be different. Mine's going to be different. <laughs> yeah. and, and kind of disregard yeah. like millions of novels that yeah. have written in like three, four hundred years. And yeah. it's like, no, mine's going <laughs> to be different. Mine's going right? to be totally different. Um, so you, we mentioned that the genres there and each of them had their own kind of uh, conventions and rules, if you like. What was it like coming over into the psychological thriller? What did you find? Um, the one thing I really, really like about psychological thrillers is they don't tend to have a policeman. <laughs> right. So you don't have to worry about the procedural side of things, which I've done before, but it is a lot of research. And I am essentially I was gonna say, a really a lazy, lazy person. person. <laughs> but also I'm much more interested in the, you know, the human interaction and the human um, character analysis, which in psychological thrillers, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's about the mistrust. It's about... So, I mean, I think... <laughs> It, it plays out like you have to lay the clues like you do with the crime novel. But I think you're much more with every single character in a psychological thriller. With the crime novel, you're, the policeman is your main character. And some some of them don't even put the viewpoint of the killer in, you know. So you don't know really quite who's what and how and where. But I quite like to... I like damaged people. And psychological thrillers is a really good place to have them. Yes, absolutely. So let's talk about Behind Her Eyes then. Uh, you've got your three main characters, yes. David, Adele and Louise. Yeah. What is the setup there? Well, and it sounds very mundane, but it's uh, a single mother, Louise, um, meets a man in a bar, thinks he's fabulous, finds out he's her new boss. And then um, while telling herself she's not going to start an affair with him, she starts an affair with him in the way that most affairs start. Uh, and then she accidentally becomes friends with his wife, uh, which she keeps secret from him. So she's kind of, to a certain extent, having these sort of affairs with each of them, even though one is sort of non-sexual. Um, and she starts to realise there's something really badly wrong in their marriage. Um, and really, who is manipulating who in the three of them, really? Um, and then it all goes very, very, very horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Even wronger. Even wronger <laughs> for them. Yeah. Now, you mentioned this this whole kind of the manipulation, the mistrust, the kind of psychosexual politics, the relationship dynamics. But these seem to be like the key kind of elements in this kind of new wave of psychological thrillers why why do you think that is at this time well i i mean i think that we live in a world that's very connected so you can you know social media is everywhere you've got everyone is linked to everybody so i think our fears have changed especially on a small scale our fears we all still worry about getting murdered or run over and blown up and those but they're kind of that we we're nervous of them but then we don't impinge on our daily lives but i do think that we worry about 
people taking our families or our husbands or our wives or taking the rug out because we're working so hard to keep our heads above water at the moment in the world I think most people that we worry about an interloper coming into our home as it were Um, so I guess it's kind of the crime equivalent of those home invasion Mm -hmm. horror films but I think you know 20 years ago before even before mobile phones let's say 30 sort of 30 years ago you know if you came to a convention and you met someone you thought was quite hot and you got drunk with them and you might have flirted but then you'd go away you wouldn't see them for a year and you go back to your normal life you talk yourself yeah. out of it you'd be sensible whereas these days not i'm not saying that conventions dear christ <laughs> you know we're all too hungover <laughs> but you know they're not a hotbed of sexual passion but you know if you meet someone that you like they can get drunk and email you facebook you twitter you and then before you know it this flirtation can go further and you're both in trouble so i think that is a much more of a threat to people and so i think we all worry about that kind of thing and women you know we spend a lot of time pretending to be something you know we put makeup on we put our best clothes on we do this we do that and then when we're sort of settled in a relationship and that slides away we don't feel so attractive so then we worry about all the other women we've been trained to be competitive and of course with. and you mentioned social i think social media is a really interesting point because mm. it adds a layer of kind of status envy yeah massively so you've got those kind of you have those perfect well. lives i mean i have a friend of mine who i mean and i i, I mentioned on the panel this morning that i think muswell hill is where twats go to live so i have a lot of friends <laughs> muswell hill, north london yeah uh, listeners in the and, north. but you know i love muswell hill it's like yeah. a, to me it's an aspirational place you know so i think maybe that's why i say oh, twats go there because i don't live there but i have friends who live there and um a screen writer director friend of mine was it see aspirational life and his wife is in a band aspirational life and i said to them i said texted him one day and i said oh god look at everybody's facebook's this morning everyone's got such fabulous lives and he was like do you know what everyone you do i was listing the people like oh john is doing this and you're doing that and abby's doing that and he was like yeah and every single one of those people has been saying the same thing about your facebook recently and you think we're all so busy hiding our the terrible sides of our lives and being quick to go hey look at this look at my book look at that look at this you know so uh, social media and modern life in general i mm. guess uh, has we're, we're sort of expected to put this veneer of yeah. perfection. so is that kind of and i wonder if we just don't work as hard at, at heart as hard as at things as maybe our parents generations did no because it's you all know? at the it's click all, of a yeah, button yeah we throw it? we do everything's disposable no one darns a sock anymore do they i mean no. to be fair i've never darned a sock in my life no, but no. you know you can go to primark <laughs> and get five pairs for a pound so yes. everything is disposable and like, that worries me a little yeah. bit um now i read in, in, in an interview recently easy for me to say this um, <laughs> so you can tell we're <laughs> on sunday morning <laughs> yes. <at> crime fest <laughs> um uh, you said we implicitly don't trust each other mm. what did you mean by that and how does it relate to well, your I was, stories yeah I was talking about women at the time and I you know I've said this a few times now and I think it's um when you're young especially young women implicitly don't trust each other and I've asked young I mean obviously it's like a long time ago for me but I remember we make each other feel insecure because we all think we're faking it a little bit and you think other women aren't, you know, oh, she, someone's always got perfect hair or they've got, you know, they've got this perfect idea clothes. Of perfection yeah, it's again, a great right? figure, et cetera. And so women have been, you know, men are pack animals. They will find their place in the hierarchy. And that's why criminal gangs are invariably men, you know, because they will trust each other with their freedom and their life and they will do, do what the boss tells them. Women, on the other hand, we're like cats. You know, like it takes us a little while to let people into our territory. We take a little evaluation. That's why, you know, the biggest thing the feminist movement could understand or take on board, which we all, and I do it, we try and pretend it doesn't exist. Women are pretty horrible to each other a lot of the time because we're, we're made, we've had years of conditioning to be insecure about each other. And only when you get in your 40s do you think, Jesus, that was a waste of 20 years. <laughs> you know, we could have all helped each other and right. we'd have been like on top now. Mm-hmm. This is, so I think that 
with women especially we are insecure about we're always comparing ourselves with other women in a way that i'm not sure men do different kind of territorial yeah because we've been very conditioned to try and be the most attractive the funniest the most you know and it's always been about for centuries securing our place in the world through the attention of a man because we weren't able to own anything or vote or whatever so i think that's still in our mindset you know like my mum still to this day is like oh why can't you just marry a rich man <laughs> and she says well, i'm only joking and i'm like mm, you said an awful lot for someone who's joking <laughs> right. you know how about i've just become a rich woman yes you know that's what i want to do forget the man exactly yes. you know and then all the beautiful young men can come and try and marry me yes i'll work with that a beautiful <laughs> poor man yeah exactly yeah. he can sort off <laughs> um what about marriage though because obviously this deals with uh, a marriage mm. i guess um what's your views on marriage and that kind of the kind of dynamics and the the politics within marriage that's well, something that you've obviously explored yeah well i'm book. quite fascinated by long-term relationships as a whole because i'm really rubbish at them <laughs> right, you know okay. like i just can't do them i think three years has been my max and you know i think people get bored very quickly in long-term relationships but there is a you know, I think I, the one thing I've learned is that actually all the things that we think are important, like that passion, that all that stuff at the right. beginning, it is important, but companionship and friendship and that trust element is maybe the more important thing. But, I, but I've also, you know, been out with friends before, especially when their children were young and they were like, oh, they hadn't had sex for ages, whatever. And I was like, ladies, you need to start getting back on that saddle because otherwise your husbands are trying to shag women like me. You know, and that's not because they don't love you. It's because men feel needed in a different way to how women feel. You know, there's men are simple creatures. <laughs> you know? Yes, I can vouch for but that. But I think, and I know I'm simplifying, but I think yeah. the way people view marriages, the, the genders is different. And I think women find it much harder to say things like, oh, I'm not, you know, they'll easily say, I'm not feeling very attractive. And men don't, men are like, I'll still shake you. You know, but yeah, it's yeah, not, yeah. that's not, we look at, we, we feel lonely in our marriages in different ways, mm-hmm. I think. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, but when people find their way through that, I mean, I've got friends who are really happily married and I've got friends who've had trouble. So it's been really fascinating to watch, but I do think that it's finding that, that the happiness in the marriage is very hard, I think, sustainably. And it, brings me nicely on to my next like, question this is like therapy for me I know, it's like, so why is Sarah not married well <laughs> that'd be 90 yeah, pounds yeah. please for that um, yeah it's this idea also this idea of uh, doing like an affair for instance mm. is doing why are humans drawn to something that they should why why are they drawn to kind of the fire why are they drawn to doing something that they know is dangerous ma- ma- danger why, why oh, are we I like that I think with affairs and I think it's often very simple is that that early days of a romance is like a drug and that is they say you're it's like a madness isn't it and I think it makes you feel young it makes you feel invigorated it makes you feel excited in a way that you know when you've been doing it with the same person every night for 20 years it's not going to have the same thing and it's so I think we're drawn to feeling it's someone something that makes us feel good about ourselves you know is a flirtation it always is always going to make people feel good about themselves but you know, I think it's learning to flirt with the person you're married to is the way forward yeah, for right. most people, you know, <laughs> yeah. like keep that going in the yeah. marriage, which I think, again, is the thing that you learn as you get older is that I think people get married young and they take it for granted. Mm-hmm. They take all that stuff for granted because when you're young, you think that's going to keep going, don't you? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I think we're just naturally. It's all about the ego, I think, affairs mm. yeah, and sex, you know, that's a natural thing. And I also think. 
people used to die a lot younger. <laughs> you yes, know? So you'd right. be married for maybe <laughs> 10 years and, right. and then one of your pops your clogs and then you remarry, you yeah. know? So you kind of get that changeover. Yeah. I do think that marriages should come with a 10-year expiry date. Right. <laughs> you know, and then there's a get-out clause where yeah. no one gets ripped off by the other half. And, yeah. But but then in the year before, if you really want to stay married you to that person, you're going to start contract. thinking, actually, I really like this person. I need to start putting my lippy on once a week yeah. again and they need to Sign start going to the gym years. or, you know, like yeah. do the things that make you feel good about <laughs> each other. Now, um, you mentioned the twist. The twist. The twist, but obviously I want to talk about it, yeah. but I can't talk about yeah. it for listeners who haven't read the book yeah. yet. Um, I'm interested, though, in how you construct mm. twists. Do you start from the back and go, we well, yeah, work backwards? Yeah. Or do you kind of plot stuff out? How do you work well, with I, such a huge twist? Twist or no twist, I like to know the ending of my book before I start. Right. You know, even if it's like a vague ending. But with this one... Um, it, the book came about in an unusual way in that I was at a um, convention in London, a fantasy and sci-fi convention, actually a big one, Long Con it was called. And I remember standing in the bar there, as one does, and looking around and there were people getting big deals and stuff. And I'm not a great believer in envy of other writers because that way lies madness or compet- you're only in com- competition with yourself. And if someone gets a million pound deal, there's room for, so, you know, it's not going to stop anyone else getting one. So I think you can go crazy. But I was having a moment of how long can I sustain this career? Because I'm not getting the big bucks, so no one's putting the push behind the books and how long can this go on for? And Natasha Barden at HarperCollins um, came and said, do you fancy a coffee? And so we went and had a beer. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she just basically said, we want you to write for us. And I was like, well, that's great, but I got nothing. And she said, well, just come up with something I can pitch. It doesn't have to be brilliant, which of course means it has to be brilliant. So I went away and it was an awful week. I was looking after my friend's dog and had to have it put down. Oh. Yeah, that was not good. And then, you know, worse, um, a very good friend of mine, writer Graham Joyce, died that week. Mm. And I was really, so I'm trying to come up with this idea as well as having all this stuff going on. And I wanted to write about affairs because I think they're sort of a modern malaise, as it were, modern fear. Um, and so I also thought it's got to have a murder because, you know, these books do. And I was coming up with, I had this like brainstorming and I couldn't get anything. So I thought, right, I'm going to go to the pub. So I went and I <laughs> sat down with a glass of wine. And the all minute, the best ideas, All the best right? ideas. And the minute I sat down, I just had this, what if? And I had all my characters laid out and I just suddenly had this moment. Um, and then I thought, oh, that's it. That's it. I've got the ending. And I knew then that it was going to be a special book. And so I literally closed closed my notebook. And Stav Scherer's, I was living in Chiswick and he literally lived like two doors away. So I texted him, I was like, I'm in the Roebuck, fancy a glass of wine. And he was like, yeah, I'm coming. So, yeah. So I so I then worked, obviously, towards that ending, which yeah. was harder than I thought it was going to be. Right, okay. That's right, and one of those characters was very difficult. Um, what do you think, I'm just going to wrap this up now, but what do you think about twists in general? There seems to be a lot of emphasis placed it's on the twists. It's a real big thing at the moment, isn't, isn't it? it? It really is. How do you feel about, do you, do you feel more pressure to come up with oh, a twist? Oh, <laughs> well, or what's, when what, I was you... planning the second one, mm-hmm. come and try it, which I've nearly finished, and um, I went to, <laughs> sounds like my life is just a constant trip to pubs, but I was meeting <laughs> up with Will Hill and Tom Pollock, who are both some very good YA authors, and we were in this bar in London, and I said, I just, I don't know, what. how am I going to beat that twist? And they said, and it stuck, I think it was Tom Pollock actually, and he said, do not try and out-twist yourself. That way lies M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I've still got a twist because I think it's nice to have a little bit of a reversal. Yeah. But I also think there are lots of books that don't have twists that are great books. And I think I think you people are, it's like the unreliable, uh, unreliable narrator. Everyone is looking for them now. Every yes. book you read, you're like, okay, which one of these people is, 
especially first and I you know and I'm guilty of doing it and I've done it in the second one first person narrator yeah switching voices mm -hmm. switching characters but you know I think that the way there are a lot of very great books that that have a reveal but they don't have a massive twist and I don't think I think you can I think people can get carried away looking for a twist and actually neglect Miss the rest the story of the book and the characters, yeah right? yeah um would it be a twist not to have a twist now Were people looking so hard for that I think it depends what kind of book yeah I mean I've yeah. read some really good books which have got more reveals than twists I've just read Tammy Cohen's They All Fall Down which isn't out yet and it's a great great conceit it's set in a a woman's in like a mental health care unit because she's had this breakdown and something to do with her baby and you you know you don't really know what's happening but there's, so there's people in there for anorexia and they're all got they, these big issues and a couple of them have died and she thinks they've been murdered but who's going to believe you when you're in the crazy house right okay it's a really nice conceit yeah and i wouldn't say that it has a massive twist but it's lots of reveals yes, you know so yeah. i think as long as you keep people guessing and interested and then you give them a satisfying ending i don't think a twist is necessarily always the way i don't i certainly don't intend to write books with twists for the rest of my life because also although what i found is quite interesting a lot of tv companies have been wanting meetings because they really want twists right that's so interesting. i have just i have just sold a pitch on with a great twist so the twist <laughs> so, will be with us for a little while I, oh I, I think everyone loves a twist we always yeah. have ever since you know sixth sense and, yeah although i guess that did you yeah straight away <laughs> all right well that's your lot sarah thank you thank so you much so for joining much. us and uh, good luck with the, the second book thank you right. fingers crossed and with that it's back to you in the studio mark Thanks, Paul. We'll be back next week where I'll be talking to award-winning screenwriter Danny Brocklehurst and the amazing actress Miana Buring about the new BBC One show In the Dark, which I may have had something to do with. In the meantime, you can find out more about A Stab in the Dark at uktv.co.uk slash astabinthedark or get in touch with us on Twitter, hashtag astabinthedark. Oh, and don't forget to review us on your podcast app. Your feedback really does make a difference. It makes us very, very happy. So if you like the show, please rate and review us. And just a quick reminder, you can watch the very best crime drama every day on UK TV channels Alibi and Drama. And thanks to our producers Paul Hirons, Joel Porter and John Lemon. My name's Mark Billingham and thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.